Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Is the theme of sanctification. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been there because I was out of town one week and, and then we had uh, uh, Adam in last week and wanted to give him a chance to speak. I appreciate Derek speaking the week I was uh, gone. But as we get back into Romans and since I'm going to talk about sanctification today, I want to give you a reminder of what it is. Uh, sanctification really means that God sets us apart to himself. The moment you and I received Christ as Savior, God took us out of our sin and set us aside to where we belong to him. There's a part of sanctification that's finished and done. As I said, the moment you receive Christ, God says, now you belong to me. But there's also a a practical, ongoing work of sanctification that God wants to do in our lives as we more and more give over to him. He is making us more sanctified as we allow him to in in our lives. When he started out in Romans chapter 6, He told us one avenue to uh, experience in a greater degree of being set apart to God would be if you and I would consider ourselves dead to sin. And see, here's the deal with that. Christians, as Christians, regrettably, we've got the capacity to sin, don't we? You know, regrettably. And regrettably, we do. But if we would have the attitude that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6 of being dead to sin, every time temptation crops up, if we just remind ourselves, no, I was crucified with Jesus, so I'm dead to sin, and of course doesn't sin, that would give us, in a practical way, more victory in our lives over temptation and help us experience more set-apartness or sanctification to God. In Romans chapter 7, he tells us we're not only dead to sin, but we are dead to something that many Christians might be surprised about. We're dead to the law. Because just by obeying the law, we cannot make ourselves more sanctified. Now, Paul's going to really continue that argument today. But in Romans chapter 7, the first seven verses, he kind of used the illustration of a marriage taking place, a husband and a wife. And in a marriage relationship, if one dies, the other is instantly free to remarry. Except here's the twist that Paul put on it. Paul does not say that the law died. He said that we as believers have died. We are to be dead to the law. In other words, the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, it's like we died. We're to be dead to the law so we can be married to another. Now, that sounds like a strange concept because typically dead people don't get married. Amen? You know? But when you look at it doctrinally, you do. Jesus died for us on the cross. He took his life back up. We as believers die to the law in order to be married to Jesus who lives forever. Amen? That's a pretty good deal that we get to, to, to live with Jesus forever. And and the the trick of experiencing a more sanctified life, a more set-apart life, is to view your relationship to Jesus like a marriage relationship. Hopefully, if you've got the right kind of marriage, you married the person that you married because you love them and you want to do life with them. You know, day in and day out. And that's the way we ought to view our relationship with Jesus. We're married to Jesus, and we want to do life with Jesus day in and day out as we live. And by having that mindset and that approach, we can experience a higher degree of set-apartness or sanctification in, in our lives. Today, Paul goes on in, in, in verses uh, 
7 through 25 of, of chapter 7. And, and a lot of this is kind of teaching today. No other way to do it, guys. I'm going to have to sit down uh, a lot of it and just kind of walk you through some things here in just a moment. Uh, but what he's talking about in these next verses, in the rest of this chapter, he's talking about the law, and he's talking about sin, but he's also talking about the struggle within us. And he's writing, I want to remind you, to believers. He's writing to Christians. Because even as a Christian, the law, many times, as you'll see in this passage of Scripture, causes us to kind of rebel. It's the way we're wired is human beings, you know, fleshly human beings. Even as Christians, sin still gives us some trouble. And as a result of it, we've got a struggle inside of us, even as Christians. Now, that doesn't come as any new news to you unless you're a brand new Christian, <laughs> like you were saved 10 minutes ago, probably. Amen? Because if you've been saved very long, you understand, even though you're saved by the grace of God. You've trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You know you're on your way to heaven. But still, you understand, you've got that old nature still, and temptation still hits, and sin still causes you a problem. And you've got this struggle that goes on inside of you. That's what Paul's talking about. I hope today some of you that really, really struggle with that will find a little bit of freedom as, as believers. Paul's going to talk about two discoveries. And he's going to talk about two principles. He's going to talk about two discoveries that he made in his own experience in this struggle he had on his own life. And then he's going to give us two principles that we need to be aware of also about this, about the law and how we relate to it as believers and sin and, and, and the struggle within us. Start with, let's, uh, let's look at the two discoveries that he, that he makes for us. He's going to make two discoveries that Paul relates to us out of his own personal experience. That's not just true of Paul, it's true of all of us uh, who know Christ as our Savior. He, he gives us two discoveries about uh, the law and sin and the struggle that goes on in the life of a believer. And that's going to be in verses 7 through 14. Here's the first discovery. Discovery number one is simply this. Even though the law cannot produce holiness or righteousness in our lives. Now let me stop before I finish that statement. Paul's already established in the book of Romans, no one is made righteous by the law. No one can work their way to heaven. The law itself makes no one righteous. That was not the purpose for the law to begin with. As you'll see as we go through this message, the purpose of the law was more or less to show us how far short we fall and how much we need Jesus. How much we need the grace of God was the purpose of it. It cannot produce holiness or righteousness in our lives. The problem is not the law itself. The law is not the problem. Now, now, remember, he's talking about sanctification in terms of believers. So, so just like the law cannot produce holiness or righteousness in our lives, someone can't be saved by the law, neither can we be more sanctified by the law or more set apart by trying to obey a bunch of legalistic rules. And, and hopefully you'll understand that more as we go through this. Look what Paul writes there in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. You see, the reason that question might come up, Paul just said, think of yourself as Dead to the law in the first seven verses, first six verses of chapter 7. So a natural question that people might bring up would be, well, it, it, the law must be something wrong with the law then. Shall we say that the law is sin? And, and he says, by no means, absolutely not. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Like I said a moment ago, the purpose of the law 
was never to make us think we can build our stairway to heaven, we can work our way to heaven, we can be good enough to go to heaven. The purpose of the law was always pretty much to knock the props out from underneath us and us realize we can't do it. To us realize how messed up we are. For us to realize how sinful we are. And he said, I would not have known sin if it had not been for the law. The law reveals sin to us. He said, I would have not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. In other words, if God had not told us it's wrong to covet, how would we know it's wrong to covet? Because it's a very natural human response that we have in our lives to covet stuff, isn't it? It's part of that old nature that, that we shall have, that we covet things. So just understand, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just understand clearly, the law cannot save us, neither can the law make us more sanctified by obeying the law. That wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was simply to say, you're messed up, I messed up. I need to be driven to the foot of the cross. I need the grace of God because I can't do it by obeying the law. Does that understand that? hope you realize that's true in your life because you can't. I can't. None of us can be good enough to obey the law. So that brings us to discovery number two. The discovery number two that Paul makes in his own experience is this. And by me saying Paul's own experience, remember who Paul was. I mean, I mean Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. You know, Paul could probably quote the, you know, the, the, the Old Testament forwards and backwards and, uh, and, and really you know, legalistic and, and thinking he could be good enough, but he found out that he couldn't be. That's his own experience. So cover number two is, is the believer's sinful nature is the problem. That's our problem. It's not the law. You see, it can't be the law because the law came from who? Where did the law come from? God. So that means the law must be wholly good. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with us. Even as believers, the problem is still with us. We can't make ourselves more sanctified just by trying to obey a bunch of rules. Look what he says in these verses, and then we'll kind of break it down. But sin, <clears throat> seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, <clears throat> sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but then the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that Paul thought promised life instead proved to be death to him, he says. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Once again, why? It came from God. So it's not the law's problem. Did that which is good then bring death to me by no means. Instead, the problem is this. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, soul under sin. Put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment. As I said a moment ago, Paul, who was this really, really legalistic guy, a Pharisee by the name of Saul, who thought that he was working his way to heaven by obeying the law, who thought he was doing God's will by persecuting these Christians. One day he figured out that he could not obey the law and it make him right with God. He met Jesus on the road that day and he realized how sinful he was with that encounter with Jesus Christ and he realized it was not the law. Now, this saved Saul, whose name is Paul, on the other side of his salvation, now he's still wrestling with this thing called the law because out of his 
past, he still had this tendency to maybe think, well, you know, the law can't save me, but maybe by obeying the law, it'll make me more like God wants me to be. And then he is also frustrated in his life and confused in his life when he figures out obeying the law cannot make him holy and obeying the law cannot make him more like God wants him to be. So, so that's, he's writing out, out of his own experience there. And, uh, and, and in verse 8, he tells us really what is taking place in his life and what takes place in our lives. And that's the fact that sin uses the law as an occasion or an opportunity to produce things like covetousness in our lives. There, there's just something about our nature. Paul's more or less saying, after I read about covetousness, all I could think about was covetousness. You understand that? After I read, I'm not supposed to covet. It seemed like that's all I could think about is coveting. That happens in our lives, even as believers, because of the old nature. Now, Paul will get into this in more detail in a moment, but I want you to clearly understand this. Just because you're saved by grace, by trusting in Jesus Christ, doesn't mean that old person you used to be is dead and gone forever. God, I wish that were the truth, don't you? I wish that was the truth. But instead, that old nature is still there, and it still gives me a lot of trouble. Give you trouble? That's what he's talking about. The old nature is still there. So sin takes something that's good, which is the law, and uses it as an opportunity. The word opportunity in the Greek means a starting point or an occasion. It's a translation of a Greek word that was a military term that that actually uh, meant for someone to, to, to place a beachhead or an encampment ready to attack you or do battle against you is what the Greek word meant. So what Paul is saying is this. Sin uses the law as an occasion to make us want to rebel. That's what he's saying. He used it as a point of attack. That's what sin does. It takes the law and uses it as a point of attack in our lives to make us somehow, because of our old nature, want to do what we're told we're not supposed to do. You ever experienced that in your life? How many's ever been out walking somewhere and there's a bench or a door or a wall or something like that and it says wet paint? You ever seen it? How many of you walked over to touch it and see if it was tacky or if they were lying to you if it was wet, huh? I have. Or, you know, when you're little growing up and you got some new clothes on, clean up to go somewhere, maybe it rained the day before, and you go outside and your mom says, don't get out there in the mud. And for some reason, when she says that and you step outside, it's like that mud puddle is a magnet, you know, that draws you over there. See, that's, that's what Paul's talking about. There, there, there's something, there's something in, our, in our nature that when, when we're told, don't touch this, don't do this, don't, you know, these signs that say, don't walk on the grass, I, I'm sorry, it makes me want to jump off the sidewalk and just, you know, walk in the softness of the grass. Why? Because that, that picture's how our nature is. That's just illustrating what Paul's talking about. The Bible says, don't covet, and, and Paul said, yeah, that's all I can think about now. The law will not save you. The law will not make you more sanctified either. It will not make you more like Jesus. You see, the, the problem is this. The problem in 1 Corinthians 15, <coughs> in verse 56, 
tells us the strength of sin is what? The law. Because you read the law and somehow after you read it, it's like, I, that seems like, I can't get it out of my mind. That seems like that's what I want to do. And here's the reason why. We'll get through this in more detail next week, God willing. But Romans 8, 7 says this. Because the carnal mind, that's the, the old self. The carnal mind, he tells us there that the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. And then notice what he says. Neither indeed can be. You see there? It's impossible for us in our flesh, and our own ability, through legalism, to somehow make ourselves more right with God. Believers who try and live by rules and regulations discover that their legalistic system only arouses more sin and more awareness of sin and sometimes even a more desire of sin in their lives. Try, trying to obey the law does not make, legalism does not make people more spiritual. It really somehow in a warped way because of our old nature makes us more sinful. Because we've got this desire from our carnal nature to, to do what's wrong. Instead of the law doing what Paul originally thought it would do, which would be to make him better, he discovers instead that the law reveals sin because as we read here what he says, the, the law, as we read the law, and Paul says this more or less about himself, and it's true in our lives too, as we read the law, the very things the law condemns seem to appear more evident in our lives. Look what he said in the second part of verse 8. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. In other words, without the law, we wouldn't know anything about sin. I was once alive apart from the law, but then when the commandment came and I read the law, sin came alive and I died. It's like the law killed me. I, you know, I thought I was okay, and now I realize I'm not. But, but in a twisted way, the, the, the law does something else, and sin uses the law for something else. And in a twisted way also, sin uses the law to deceive people into thinking they can become righteous by their own works, and instead that leads to death. Look what Paul says in verse 10. He said, the very commandment that promised life, that's what he thought it would do for him by obeying the law, proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. The, the word deceive means that, that sin uses the law in some way to seduce you into doing what you shouldn't do to start with. And because our old nature is attracted to that. God says no, and our old nature kind of says yes. You know, we, we read in the Bible that we should not do this, or we should do this, and, and, our, and our old nature wrestles against it. And there are a lot of people today that somehow have deceived themselves into thinking because sin is using the law for this deception, is what Paul's talking about. They've deceived themselves into thinking they can make themselves right with God or holy before God by obeying the law. But to be honest with you, anyone that's trying to make themselves righteous by their own works, by trying to obey the law, they're on a pathway that leads to a trap door that just falls open one day and leads to eternal separation and condemnation from God. The, the law will not save anyone, and the law also will not make anyone righteous. It's not the fault of the law. It's the fault of the sinner who tries to obey the law as a means of righteousness. The problem is not the law. The problem is our sinful nature, because look what he says in verse 12 and verse 13. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good comes from God. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me, 
through what was good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The commandment, God's law, was sent to show us how far short we fall. But I want to remind you of something, the context of what he's talking about. What are we talking about? What's the main topic? It's what? Sancti- what? Sanctification. So kind of in a, in, in, in a weird way, believers somehow, we'll come up with a bunch of rules for ourselves on the other sides of salvation where we think that, that somehow by obeying those rules it will make us more like Jesus, it will make us more sanctified, it will make us more set apart. But instead what really happens is this, because it happened in Paul's life and it happens in our life, is that our sinful nature deceives us into thinking we can be more like God wants us to be by obeying the law. And then when we find out we can't be by obeying the law in our own flesh, we're discouraged and we're frustrated. And a lot of believers at that point kind of just give up trying. The issue is they've been trying in their own flesh. I, first service, I said this later. I don't know why it comes to mind now. Maybe somebody needs it right now. But um, you ever notice in church sometimes people fall by the wayside and sometimes they're called to go somewhere else and that's perfectly fine. You know, God calls them to go somewhere else. But you know what I'm afraid happens a lot of times to Christians? They have been deceived into believing that their Christian life, even though they're saved by grace, now involves obeying a bunch of rules that they set for themselves, obeying the law. And when they try it in the flesh and they can't do it, although they try, they try and try and try, and they struggle and they find out they can't do it and they get discouraged, you know what happens? They, they become spiritual casualties. And they fall by the wayside because they, they, they've been deceived into thinking somehow they can do it. But you see, we can't make ourselves more set apart to God by obeying the law. Verse 14 says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. That's my old nature, sold under sin. Even as Christians, we cannot be made more righteous by obeying the law. We cannot be made more holy by obeying the law. We cannot be made more like Jesus by obeying the law. Our sinful nature is so sinful it can't be renovated. By following the law. We can't change the sinful nature. That's not what salvation is about. God is not renovating the sinful nature. He gives us a brand new nature in Christ when we become a Christian. But we've got that old stinking nature that's still there causing us trouble. That we need to learn to crucify and crucify and crucify and crucify. As the Holy Spirit empowers us. And we'll talk about the Holy Spirit a lot in just a moment. But I want you to get this. The point of the matter is this. A lot of people think they can make themselves more sanctified, more like God wants them to be by obeying the law or by obeying rules. And that's not the way that it works. Instead, it just makes you more defeated in your life. Really neat quote here by Warren Wearsby that... uh, that I found, I, I, you know, you probably recognize over the years I quote Warren Wiersbe a lot. I, I really always like to read after him and, and everything. But he said this, It's a wonderful day in the life of a Christian when he or she discovers that the old nature knows no law. In other words, the old nature don't give a flip. The old nature don't care what the law has to say. That's our old nature. But he goes on and, and he says, It's also a wonderful day in the life of a Christian when he or she discovers this, the new nature needs no law. The new nature that I have, God living in me by God's grace, when I receive Christ as my Savior, the new nature that I have doesn't need the law to be made more like Jesus. It is not about obeying a bunch of legalistic rules. 
Now, I hope, I hope, please, if there's anything that happens today, I know a lot of this is kind of technical teaching, some that I'm having to do today, but it's necessary teaching because I dare say some of you are where I am a lot of times in my life because even though I've been a Christian for years and years and been a preacher now for years and years and things like that, I still find myself sometimes setting myself up for failure by thinking that I can do it, by thinking that I can obey uh, you know, man-made rules or laws or God's laws or whatever and somehow make myself more right before God. God, and the truth of the matter is, I can't, not in myself, not by myself. And when I try it, all I do is get more discouraged and more defeated. So it's my prayer today that those of you that already know Christ as your Savior will be set free a little bit by understanding that's not how it works. It's also my prayer today for some of you that don't know Christ as your Savior, that you'll figure out today it's not about you. It's not about you working your way to heaven. It's all about God's grace. It's about you believing what Jesus did on the cross for you. He gave us two, two discoveries that he made in his own life that we need to make. We're, we're set apart or sanctified by being in Christ. It's not about obeying the law. And he's going to make that clear in the rest of Romans chapter 7. In the rest of these verses, Paul has given us two principles. He made two discoveries from his own life that's true about our lives as believers. But he's going to give us two principles now about the law and sin and the struggle within us. Two principles. The Bible here, the text I'm reading from, the version I'm using today calls them laws. A lot of translation calls it laws instead of principles. He, he's going to deal with two principles that, or laws that deal with the two natures that I've already mentioned. The two natures in the life of a Christian. We've got the old nature and we've got a new nature. The believer's old nature is this, and, and we might not like it, but, I, but I'm telling you it's true. Even though you're a believer, that old nature that you have is still as wicked as it was the day before you were saved. You understand that? That old nature can't please God. It's the flesh. It can't please God. It's as wicked as it ever was. The old nature is. You, you need to recognize that. Salvation means that God gives us a new nature. It doesn't mean that he is renovating or that he's redoing or he's propping up the old nature. The old nature is sinful and will always be sinful. It will always Lean toward wickedness. Instead, he's given us a new nature in Christ. And we need to be allowing him to crucify the old nature, to get it out of our lives more and more, to be set apart more and more unto him. So let's look at these, uh, at these two principles. Here's principle number one. Paul calls it this, the, the law of sin and death. He even refers to it later on in chapter 8, and I'll read that in a few moments. The principle number one is this. The law of sin and death does this. The law of sin and death causes an internal struggle. That's what I talked about to start with. We've got this struggle in us between doing what's right and doing what's wrong. The, the law of sin and death, that old nature, causes an internal struggle resulting in spiritual frustration. That's what he writes about to, to begin with in, in verse 15 through 24. That old nature that we have. Look, look, look at what he writes in, in those verses. I do not understand my own actions. You ever been there? <laughs> Listen to what he says. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I, I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. See, that's our problem. We somehow still hold on to the lie that there's some kind of good in us. 
I mean, we've been taught by culture and things like that. Everybody's got this little divine flame, and all you have to do is fan it a little bit. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. We do not have a little divine flame that needs to be fanned just a little bit. We've got an old nature that needs to be crucified and killed. That's what we have. He goes on and he says, That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, <coughs> but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, and it is no longer I do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law or a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. Paul said, I love God's law. I delight in it in my inner being. But I see in my body, the members of my flesh, in my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So much so that Paul, the Apostle Paul, I remind you, that wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, called by Jesus to go and plant churches all across Asia Minor. The Apostle Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Let me walk you through some things real quick there. The law of sin and death is really this. It's the operation of the old nature. That's what he's talking about. The law of sin and death is that old nature that's still functioning. They're still operating in our lives. So much to the degree that even the good things that we do, guess what? They're tainted by evil. He said, when I want to do good, I find out there's evil right there at hand. It's lying right there at the door. He said, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. This causes confusion for the Christian, just like it did in Paul's life. Paul wrote this in verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the thing that I hate. I mean, it caused confusion in his life, and it confuses me. Does it confuse you? As a Christian, that's true many times in your life. Now, there's a distinction here that you need to get in the words that Paul uses. See, in the English language, we would say, I do, and you'd think, all right, I understand what that means, and I do would be the same thing, and I do would be the same thing. But Paul uses some different words in the Greek language here that's translated, I do, that means uh, some little different nuances, but they're very important nuances. When Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, the first occurrence of, of I do is a word in the Greek that really means this. He said, I cannot fully figure it out or pull it off. I can't finish it somehow. You know, I, I can't understand it. What I know I want to do, I, I, but I can't figure out how to perform it. That's what he's saying. The second reference for I do, when he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. The second word that's translated I, I do there indicates I can't practice habitually what I want to do. Now, now that's an important distinction there for this reason. Paul is not saying that he's practicing sin all the time. Matter of fact, there's a third word there that we failed to get on, on the screen because I, I failed to highlight it for Brandy to, to put it on the screen. But there's a third occurrence of the word I do that means that when, as he goes on and he says, but I do the very thing that I hate. The, the word in the Greek is translated I do there. It means a one-time occasion. It doesn't mean repetitive, habitual sin. Okay? Now, here's the important distinction in that. Paul is not saying that he is habitually sinning all the time. That's not what he's saying. 
And we can't use what Paul writes here as an excuse for us to think, well, I can't help it. Paul said he can't help us. I'm going to go, you know, I, I just can't help that I sin all the time. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that he has the desire to do what God wants him to do, but he can't fully figure it out and can't fully pull it off. He can't practice the righteousness all the time that he wants to practice. Instead, every now and then, he has these one-time occasions of sin that pops up in his life. And Paul said, that's confusing me. That's, that's, that's causing me some problems. Does it you? Huh? See, please understand that. Don't be a Christian that thinks you've got a license to go out and sin. That's not what Paul is saying. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God when we receive Christ as our Savior to live for God. We'll talk more about that here in just a moment. But Paul is saying, man, I, I just, the things I know I, I need to do, that I want to do, that God tells me to do, I can't figure it out completely. Uh, why I can't do it, I can't practice it like I want to because every now and then I have these one-time occasion failures, these sins that happen in my life. That's what he's saying to us. It's pastor scripture. And Paul is simply saying, that causes confusion in my life as it does in, in our lives. In verse 15, Paul says this, when we sin and we allow the old nature to control us, really what we're doing is verifying the law is right and we're wrong. He says, now if I, I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. It just proves the, the truthfulness of the law. Then verse 17 and 18, he, he's really letting us know the truth of the matter is this, that in our flesh, because of sin in our old nature, nothing good dwells in us. See, we hold on to this idea that somehow there's good in our flesh, but there's not, because he said in those verses, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh by ourselves, who we are. There's no good in us, for I have the desire to do what is right. And there he's saying habitually, I've got the desire to habitually practice what is right, but I, I, I don't have the ability to carry it out. See, the truth of the matter is, God will not accept our flesh because in our flesh there's no good thing. Jesus said himself in John chapter 6, verse 63, the flesh profits nothing. The flesh, obeying the law, will not save you. Being good will not save you. Having been saved by grace as a Christian, if you believed in Jesus Christ, been saved by grace, and now you know you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're on your way to heaven, neither will obeying the law sanctify you or make you more like God wants you to be because you've got this still old nature and, and works of the flesh and your own energy will not make it work. You see, we've got, we've got this struggle, this war inside of us that Paul writes about in verse 19 through 20. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Man, doesn't that blow you away that that's Paul saying that? That ought to set you, some of you guys, free just a little bit to recognize that Paul. See, we get this belief that the devil wants us to believe, and then that makes us feel all the more defeated and discouraged that the people in the Bible were perfect. No, they weren't. Paul was not perfect. And thank God the Bible gives us the good, bad, and the ugly. And the Bible shows us that there's hope for us because there's hope for him also. He, he's going on here and he said, the, what I want to do, that's, I, I don't pull it off. Now, now I do, in verse 20, now I do what I, what I do not want. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find there to be a law or a principle that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, in, in, in my mind. He said, I, I delight in it. But, in verse 23, I see in my members another law or another principle waging war against the law of my mind 
in making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now, we don't have time. I'm not going to go over the word studies for I do. Again, similar ones that were already used a moment ago. But he uses this idea of waging war. It means to attack, to destroy, to war against. The apostle Paul is saying that he's got this war, this battle inside of himself. Can you identify with that? Can you identify with that struggle inside of you? Paul's saying, I, I, I don't do, I don't practice what I want to do, but somehow I do single acts of evil that I don't want to do. And there's this struggle of the old nature within us that not only did Paul have, we all have that old nature there. And it wages war. And it wants to bring us captive to sin. And whenever we surrender to temptation and sin, we're being captive, even as believers, to sin. We've let the enemy win the war. And there's this huge struggle. Paul writes about it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. The sinful nature <coughs> desires what is contrary to the spirit. In the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And Paul goes on in verse 24 and he tells us more or less this. That spiritual internal struggle that Paul experienced and that we experience ourselves between doing good or evil causes frustration for the Christian because look what Paul writes. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You ever feel like that? Huh? Honest, do you? And a lot of times in my Christian walk, I feel wretched. You don't know what happens when, when that happens more often in my life. It's when I've made it about me doing things in the energy of the flesh. Me depending upon what I think I can do. And then I fail because I can't help but fail because the flesh is no good. To where I feel like I'm wretched. The, the, the word that he uses here for, for wretched man means enduring a trial. It means miserable. <laughs> You know, we're made miserable by, by our failures, even as Christians. It means a, a piercing or a test or a trial. The Greek word also indicates a person who's exhausted after fighting a battle. Now, I, I was never in the military. Some of you were. Some of you have probably actually been in battle. I, I never was. I spent 10 years in law enforcement. I know what it's like to fight somebody for a few minutes and man just fighting somebody for a few minutes on the other side of it you're winded and exhausted just from fighting I mean you've seen wrestling matches wrestling matches I'm talking about not the ones on TV the fake ones I'm talking about the ones that happen in high school and college and things like that that's a very short amount of time they're wrestling but they are winded and, and spent by the time that, that they're through with that real wrestling match uh, imagine a soldier that's in a battle that lasts for hours and hours and hours. And on the other side of that battle, how, how exhausted they would be. See, Paul is saying that's how he felt. And you see, that's how we feel when we depend upon the energy of the flesh. We're worn out. We're exhausted from the battle. From trying to wrestle in who we are. With our own abilities. With our own talents. With trying to be more like God wants us to be by obeying the law by being rules and, and and that just doesn't doesn't work all it does is make us more exhausted in Romans 8 7 and 8 he says for the mind that is set on 
the flesh, that's that old nature of the flesh, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here's what we tend to do as believers. We're saved by the grace of God. Trusting completely in what Jesus did for us on the cross. But somehow, somewhere along the way, we start to set up rules for ourselves based upon God's law that we deceive ourselves into believing. If we'll jump through all the hoops, all the rules that we make, it will make us more holy and more like God wants us to be. And the truth of the matter, it doesn't because all it does is frustrate us and defeat us because in the energy of the flesh, we just become spiritual casualties by trying to do it ourselves. Paul said, who will deliver us from this body of death? The the phrase that Paul uses there, in that day and time, one of the punishments for committing murder would be this. Not always, but this is one thing they would do sometimes. They would take the person that you murdered, that corpse, and tie that corpse to your back. And that corpse would be there on your back, arms tied to your arms, leg tied to your legs. And you would be forced to try and walk around with that corpse for days upon end. Get to where it's stunk pretty much after a while, wouldn't it? But not just that. You see, after days of having a corpse tied to you, the corruption of that decaying corpse begins to corrupt your body and eventually you die from the disease and the corruption that's set up. That's a very descriptive illustration that Paul is using. Who will deliver me from this stinking body of death? Who who will deliver me from the frustration of trying to serve God in the energy of the flesh? Who will deliver me from my failure? Who will deliver me from my discouragement of trying to obey man-made rules or even God's rules that we have set for ourselves thinking that by doing so in the energy and the power of the flesh it will make us more holy, more sanctified, more set apart to God. Who will deliver us from that? First principle is not a very good one. Second one, I'm glad there's a second one, aren't you? Because the second one, Paul answers that question. Principle number two is this. Where where the law of sin and death, where it caused a struggle and frustration in our lives, what you and I need to depend upon for our sanctification, for being made more and more like Jesus, is not the law of of sin and death or obeying the law. It's the law or the principle of the spirit of life in Christ creates eternal freedom resulting in celebration in our lives. Look what Paul writes in verse 25, last verse of the chapter. He asks the question, who will deliver me? And then he answers it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin see it's not by submitting to outward laws that we become more holy or we grow in holiness and we can serve God acceptably but it's by surrendering to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God that's what chapter 8 is about I hope you understand this you know all these stuff all these verse references and chapters and things like that you understand the Holy Spirit didn't put them there you understand that Those are man-made just to help us kind of divide the Scripture and be able to find this and look it up and everything. Chapter 7 and chapter 8, that's not like a division between what Paul's talking about. Chapter 7, Paul's letting us know, trying to do it in the flesh don't work. 
trying to make yourself more holy, more sanctified, more like God wants you to be in the energy of the flesh doesn't work. But instead, here's what works. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus fulfills all of God's holy demands is what he's saying there. Notice this. Who walk not according to the flesh. Who are not trying to live our lives. We're not trying to be more like God wants us to be according to works of the flesh. Instead, he says this, but according to what? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Trying to do it by a bunch of set rules will just frustrate you and make you discouraged and make you give up. Because you can't make yourself more holy. You you were not saved by obeying the law, neither can you make yourself more holy by obeying the law. Instead, the deal is we need to surrender more and more to the Holy Spirit of God. We'll see this next week also, but all this applies together, so I need to read it this week. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, look at this, the law of the Spirit of life, that's the law we're talking about, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You can't, in the energy of your flesh, be more holy, be more like God wants you to be. That's not how it works. How it works is you and I understand in the moment we became Christians, God, by his Holy Spirit, came to live in our lives. And what we need to do is not set up a bunch of rules that we're going to fail by. We're to allow the Holy Spirit of God to empower our day-to-day living. We're to allow the Holy Spirit of God to help us make the choices in a moment of temptation when it hits. We are to listen to God's Holy Spirit within us. Not some human rules, not some man-made effort, but God living his life through us, through the Holy Spirit in us. And instead of us being frustrated, we have freedom. We're set free from the burden of the law. We have freedom to serve God and to celebrate as Paul does here. You and I ought to, with Paul, say this. Thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ, our Lord. The law of sin and death causes an internal struggle. In the life of believers, just because we're believers, doesn't mean that we don't struggle. And it causes extreme frustration when we try and serve God in the energy of the flesh to where we say with Paul, how wretched I am, how bad I am. But the law or the principle of living through Jesus Christ is empowered by his Holy Spirit. That's what gives us freedom to where we can celebrate. What's a practical application then for us as believers? What does it mean? What's a practical application? Practical application is simply this. You quit trying to be more like Jesus by obeying legalistic rules. You quit trying by the energy of your flesh to... Please God and be more like God wants you to be. Because that doesn't work. And instead, you surrender to the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what works. Romans chapter 6 tells us we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. But we're alive to Jesus and we're supposed to serve him. 
Our problem is we try to serve him too often in what we can do in the energy of our flesh. But what we need to do is agree with Romans chapter 7 that we're no good. <laughs> that we're screwed up, that we can't do it. And instead, we need to serve Jesus and allow him to make us more like he wants us to be, more sanctified as we allow the Holy Spirit his way in our lives. The whole goal this morning, and uh, I've had a struggle with my voice and everything else. I've, I've, I've coughed and hacked for two months now, it seems like, and uh, maybe I'll get past it. But uh, the, the main thing I want you to get today, if you don't get anything else, is that if you're a believer, if you know Christ is your Savior, you did not work out your salvation by your own goodness, by your good works. You're not saved by obeying the law. Neither can you be more sanctified or more like God wants you to be by obeying the law. So based upon that, I hope some of you that might have been bound by that and you're, you're like Paul and you thought, man, I'm wretched. I, the things I want to do, I can't do. The things I, I, I don't want to do, that seems to be what I wind up doing. Here's the freedom to that. You quit trying yourself. And you depend upon the Holy Spirit of God in your life to empower you to do it. So I hope some of you will be liberated by that. You know, there's some of you here that don't know Christ as Savior. My goal, God's goal, right now for you is this, that you would realize that you can't save yourself. The law doesn't do it. Jesus did it for you. And I hope you'll find him in the next few moments. Let's pray. Our Father, God, we thank you to start with it, that we can call you Father, not based upon who we are, our works, our energy in the flesh, but God, we can call you our Father because you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. <coughs> and that through Jesus and his finished work on the cross, when we believe in him by faith that you save us, not by our works, but you save us by your amazing grace. Not that we deserve it, none of us deserve it, but you do it out of your mercy and grace. So Father, if there's someone here that does not know Christ, help them to see they cannot be good enough, they cannot work their way to heaven. Give them the faith they need right now to believe in Jesus. But Lord, the rest of us that know Christ as Savior because that's who you're writing to through Paul's pen here. God, we get so frustrated and so defeated and want to give up many times because we try and do things in our own abilities and the energy of the flesh. God, set us free right now to help us to understand it's not about legalism. It's not about obeying rules. It's about us letting you live your life through us. It's about us surrendering to the Holy Spirit of God moment by moment, day by day in our lives. God, help us to do that. So we with Paul can say, thank God we can be delivered from that body of death, that old self, that old nature through the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Of course, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.